Welcome to another inspirational message from Church on the Rock Pile. Thank you for listening. And if you would like more information, you can visit us at www.therockchurch.co.za. Hi, welcome to our online service today. Well, just over a week ago, we had an awesome sister's evening right here in this building where I am right now with the theme, Real, Being Authentic. And it really challenged me. It made me think of how when we were little, we spent a lot of time pretending while playing. Not so. And both my boys have scars because they played pretend that they were superheroes and thought that they could fly. And when you're small, you have a really good imagination. Not so. Little stick becomes swords and towns become superhero capes. But what I've noticed is that as we grow older, we move from pretend to performance. For most, there's nothing really wrong with it. You have to perform at school. If you have a job and you don't perform, you want to keep that job. You're getting paid to perform. But here's my concern. My concern is that we take pretending and performing into our work with God. That we think, you know, I've accepted Christ and, and so now I've got to begin to pretend. I've got to pretend that I'm a Christian. I've got to pretend that I'm living this out and I'm living in victory. But the problem is the tension on the inside because I know I'm not living up to who I'm supposed to be. So I'm pretending. I'll come to church on Sunday and put on a smile and and walk around and say, I'm great, God bless you, you know, everything's wonderful. And too many Christians also live on the performance side of faith. You know, if I can just do enough good things, you know, if I can act good enough, you know, I'll perform my way to God's Good grace that he's got for me. And both of those will frustrate you and leave you feeling like, I don't know if I want to be part of this Christian thing and do this Christian life. Pretending and performing is not what God intended for you when you said yes to Jesus. And so Romans chapter 8 lets us know in the first 11 verses how we don't have to pretend and we don't have to perform. There is a better way to live. There is a third option. So if you're ready for the word today, wherever you're sitting, at home, coffee shop, in a hospital, old age home, wherever, say after me, my heart's open, my mind's ready, I won't be the same again, in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 1 to 7 is Paul building his case that we need the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. He's explaining how in ourselves and on our own, We are desperately lost in sin. We are not mistakes who make mistakes. We are sinners who sin. And we are desperately in need of the gift of the gospel. Then we get to chapter 8. So I'm going to give you four thoughts from the first 11 verses that will help you get out of performance and the pretend trap that we sometimes find ourselves in. So number one, are you ready? Number one, important point. My debt is paid in full. My debt is paid in full. You have to understand that because if not, you will continue to pretend to pay a debt that you think you owe or try to perform to pay a debt that you think you owe. But you need to understand, my debt is paid in full. That's really good news. Here's why. Romans 8, reading from verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
There is no condemnation. It's such good news because you have a massive debt that was impossible to pay on your own. You had a debt that sin brought into your life. Theologically, we call it imputed. You are imputed with sin, which means you were born with it. We came out of the womb wanting to roll our eyes, you know, wanting to lie and walk with pride and with anger. Nobody had to teach us any of that. Not so. We came into this world and, and there we were, just sin and all. And because of that, our debt was impossible to pay. We had no way to, and the big word is, atone for our sins. That means make right for our sins. We had no way to get into a right standing with God. It doesn't matter how much good work you did or how much you attended church. It didn't matter how many songs you sing in worship, you know, or if you, you know, have a whole list of gold stars because you attended Sunday school every single week. And it doesn't matter if you got baptized, confirmed, you know, uh, had communion with a cross. You had a debt you could not pay with no ways of making atonement for your sin. We were hopeless. Oh, Mark, you're quite passionate about this, you know? Yes, because you don't and won't understand grace until you understand the depth of sin in your life. You have to get a really good understanding that I was without hope. I had no way back to God and I am nothing by myself. You know, the hymn Rock of Ages says this, I come with nothing in my hands, but simply to the cross of Jesus. And that is so true. So when Paul gets to Romans 8 verse 1, he's just ended chapter 7 saying, the good things that I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't want to act like this, but I just sometimes do. I don't want to respond in anger, but sometimes I just do. I want to love people, but sometimes I want to have a list of who can come and who can't come into this building. They can enter, they can't. Sometimes. And then he says in Romans 7, 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this sin and this death? But when we turn the page, chapter 8, verse 1, he goes and he says, like, it's kind of like he has like a, Oh, wow, I remember. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Christian life has this tension. And Jesus says, I'm forgiven. It's a tension. Jesus says, I'm saved, I'm delivered. But sometimes I don't feel as if I am. The tension, yes, but not yet. Now, but it is to come. So he says, there is no condemnation. The word condemnation is a legal term, meaning you owe something. But some of us live our life thinking that we have to repay Jesus for what he did on the cross for us. And so we are living from a place of performance. Let me ask you this. When Jesus died on the cross, which sins did he die for that you had committed? You had not committed any sins yet because you had not been born yet. Not so. So he died once and for all, for all our sin, meaning not just your past sin. And some of us think that when we come to Jesus, you know, and we prayed and raised our hand and did the sinner's prayer, then we think, oh, okay, you know, that covers from today back. You know, I'm clear right now. For today, 
and back. And then we leave the building and go, uh-oh, I've just blown it again. And I've already sinned. Oh, now what? Oh, I'm lost. No, he died for our sins, past, present, and future. And Paul think, says these things, you know, things I hadn't even thought about doing yet. There is no condemnation for those, listen to me, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this does not apply to the unbeliever. This does not apply to the person who has not yet accepted Jesus. So yes, there is no condemnation for those who are not in Christ. All right? Are you with me in that? But if you put your faith in Jesus, you don't have to live your life performing to get God to like you or just be pleased with you. There is no condemnation. You don't have to pretend. Mark, this sounds like easy grace, you know. I can just live how I want to live. Oh, that's cool. No, you must come in the light of how good he's been to you. He has given you a free will to make choices. And the same free will that can choose wrong can also choose right. God wanted to have a family that would respond to his grace and love, wanting to serve, not out of fear, because fear is not love, not at all. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Imagine if I went to Jan, that's my wife, when we were still dating and said, love me and marry me or else I will hunt you down for the rest of your life. And out of fear, she said, okay, I will marry you. And some of you view God that way. Love me and serve me or I will punish you. No, that is not love. God said, no greater love has any man than he lays down his life. So he sent Jesus knowing that you had the free will to reject him, but also knowing he gave you the free will to accept him. That's love. Number two, so that you don't pretend or perform, you have to know this. I have been set free. You, you have been set free. Now watch this. I'm not condemned. Why? The very next verse, verse two. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gave life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, the law that Paul is talking about is not the law as in the law of the Old Testament. Usually when the Bible talks about the law, it's talking about Old Testament law, about the rules and regulations that were set out you know, for the nation of Israel, laws and sacrificial systems and the things that they had to do to have a right standing with God. But this law is not that law at all. It would better be translated that the principle of the spirit of life has set me free from the principle of sin and death. Paul was saying, listen, there was an old principle at work, which was if I do enough good, then my righteousness will be acceptable before God. But that has been replaced with a new principle, which is that Jesus's work on the cross is enough for me. And now the spirit of God gives me the power to live a life that he intended for me to live. So he says, verse three, for what the law was powerless to do. Now he's talking about the Old Testament law, which had over 400 rules and regulations that they had to follow. 
And what God was trying to show his people is that you cannot do it in your own strength. It was continued, was weakened by the sinful nature. Why? Because my nature will never, ever follow 400 rules and regulations. So God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So the Old Testament law worked like a mirror. A mirror can only show me what is happening. It can't change anything in me. So I can look in the mirror and see that my hair is receding. <laughs> Sadly, it is. You know, it can't make my hair grow back. The mirror can show me if there's a stain on my jeans, but it can't clean my jeans. It can show me if I need to shave, but it can't shave me. It can only reveal it to me. It's like a speeding limit sign. The sign can only show you if you're breaking the law. It can't keep you from breaking the law. So I can't pick up the mirror and if, you know, I need to shave, try and shave with the mirror because it won't work. But that is what some people have done. It's called religious legalism. It's when we think that if we follow enough rules and try to do so without breaking any of them, then, but Paul says we are weakened by our sinful nature which is why God sent Jesus to be a sin offering for us and continue. So he condemned sin in sinful man. Jesus paid the penalty for sin once and for all, but also beat sin at its own gate. He was tempted in all ways, yet he was without sin. He walked the earth and was given the opportunity to hate, given the opportunity to be prideful, given the opportunity to be angry, have lust and greed. Yet in all those things, he had no sin. He beat sin at its own game so that he could be an offering for you and for me. Why? Verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met, he looked at the law and said, done. I fulfilled them all, every rule, every regulation. It's all fulfilled in me. And so now we don't have to pretend. You know, we don't have to say, oh, I hope I'm good enough. I hope I can perform enough for God. Instead, you can say, Jesus, I place all my trust in you. What you did on the cross for me is all that I needed. And I receive your forgiveness. God, I receive your peace in my life. And so he says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, we do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. So Jesus' work on the cross is more than just a charm that we put around our neck. He didn't just free us from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God. You know, there's a real heaven and a real hell, and people are going to spend eternity in one of the two. He didn't just save us from the penalty of sin. He removed the power of sin. So now, no longer do you have to walk through life going, well, I guess this addiction, you know, it just owns me. No, it does not, because you do not walk according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. I don't have to live my life believing the words of the enemy. This lust just has me. This pornography has just got me. I guess this bitterness, you know, it's just part of me. No, no. It does not have to have you in any way because he fulfilled the law. And I don't live according to the sinful nature, but I live according to the Spirit. 
So I've been set free. Not just the penalty, but the power of sin. Here is the tension. Sometimes I still feel as if sin has power over me because the principle can be true, but you are still in the process. Because accompanied with salvation, there should be a process of transformation. There should be some change. If I pray to accept Christ, there should be, you know, um, some difference in my life. There shouldn't be, oh, I've accepted Christ. There's no difference in my life. I shouldn't be able to say, I'm a Christian and not live like one. Are you with me? Oh, okay, I'm a Christian, but not act and talk like one, love like one, give like one, serve like one. If I'm not, then I'm just taking a label, but I have no integrity for that label. I'm writing a check that I cannot cash. This is the message of Jesus all through the scriptures. Well, Mark, I thought Jesus was just love, you know, isn't he? Yes, he is love. But his love should compel you to do something. His love should compel you to serve and to love and to give and to be more like him. So I don't have to pretend, I don't have to perform because I had been set free. I have the spirit of God now on the inside of me living in me. You know, people dragged a woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus and they said, she's caught in the act. I'm like, so where's the guy? But anyway, Jesus says, you without sin cast the first stone. And then he looked at her and said this, where are your accusers? And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Amazing words. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We like the, neither do I condemn you. But then he says, go and adjust your lifestyle. And we can because we've been set free from the penalty of sin. Thank God I have a home in heaven. I don't fear death and I don't hope, you know, oh, I hope I'm going to heaven. I'm not going there because of anything that I've done. I'm going, listen to me. And it's because, and it's all because of what Jesus did. He did it all. So not only am I set free from the penalty of sin, but I'm getting freer from the power of sin in the process. What used to cause me to trip up doesn't do that anymore in my life. You know, I'm not being arrogant. I'm saying I'm in a process and I'm not living according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. I've been set free. I haven't been set free so that I can sin some more. No. Paul says in Romans 6, 1 and 2, you know, because we've got this grace, do we just sin all the more? Does sin abound because grace abounds? And he goes on and says, no. He says, God forbid we should pursue a holy life. We need to do that. Number three, I don't have to pretend and perform because I can govern my mind and you can govern your mind. Listen to this. It says in the next verse, verse five, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. This is why we can pray a prayer and then wonder why we are not seeing more change in our lives. It's because of what we are setting our minds on. Goes on to say, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. One translation says, they have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now it says the attributes of the spirit. The mind set on the sinful nature, verse 8, is dead. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. 
Don't we want more of that? Paul tells us how to get it. Have your mind controlled by the Spirit. Then in verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Paul says, those who have their minds on the things of the Spirit or what the Spirit desires, on the, on the things that the Spirit desires. He didn't say their minds set on the Spirit, but on what the Spirit desires, verse 5. And that's big. It's huge. We don't sit around just thinking about the Spirit. You know, what does the Spirit mean? Is that a fog? Is that a mist? No. He says, things of the Spirit. Because if you will set your mind on the things of the Spirit, the attributes of the Spirit, then you get the Spirit. And when the presence of God is in your life, you have fellowship with God when you want more of what He wants. Are you following me? So I have to control my thinking. I can't set my mind on impurities, on lust, on anger, on rage, on bitterness, and let it run in all kinds of places You know that are pleasing to my sinful nature which will then say, yes, keep thinking about that. Yes, hate them more. Put a wedge in that relationship. Be bitter more. Watch that again. Hey, go do that again. Say that again. I'm feeding it. But the Bible says, because I have the Spirit of God, I can govern my mind. I can have authority over my mind. I can talk back to my mind and say, no, no, no. I'm going to think about peace, about truth about justice and righteousness, and I'm going to think about God's house. I'm going to think about the gospel. What happens when I get my mind set on what the Spirit wants? I receive the Spirit and I have power now to do what? To do what? Set my mind on what the Spirit wants. Do you see it? You're in a process, so you don't have to come pretending. God's not waiting on his chair to hit the golden buzzer if you perform well enough. He's already accepted you. He's already shown his love for you in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. You don't have to pretend and you don't have to perform. You just receive and as you fellowship with the Spirit, you move forward. But what happens to most of us, you know, in this culture that we're in is we're on autopilot. You know, we've spent most of our bandwidth on self on self-gratification, on self-glorification. You know, it may not even be bad, but it can lead to sin. You know, I can do all this stuff by myself. I've got this, I've got it. No, it should be God, I need you. I need you for everything. I'm completely dependent upon you. So how do I get out of the pretending and performance mode? I govern my mind. I set my mind on the things of the Spirit. Is that a process? Absolutely. You know, some days I set my mind on the sinful nature, and what does it do? It robs me of life, and it robs me of peace. In fact, it leads to death. Paul's talking, and he's saying it doesn't just lead to physical death, but it can lead to the death of many things. It can kill things in your life. It can kill your joy. It can kill your contentment. So I'm going to set my mind on, God, what do you want in my life? God, what do you want me to think about? And as you do, you get out of this pretending and performance track. I can govern my mind. Now, the last one. Are you still with me? Are you ready? Number four. 
I don't have to pretend and perform because I have new power. I have new power. And so the next verse, verse 9 says this. You, talking about the Christian that sits, setting in mind on the spirit and on spiritual things. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now watch this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies and through his spirit who lives in you. Man, there's so much just in this. When you said yes to Jesus, the seal of the Holy Spirit came into your life. Now, we believe that as you grow in your faith, there's another work of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit as your seal of salvation. So a supernatural force has entered your physical body. That's the only way you can live this Christian life because it's impossible on your own. You have to have a greater power. And Paul carries on and says, listen to this. This is really encouraging. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead are you telling me that you can't find victory in some area of your life? I think it might be because you don't know that the same spirit that caused that stone to tremble and roll away from the tomb, the same spirit that after being Jesus being in the grave, can you believe it? He was there for three days. That same spirit caused the body of Jesus to come back into life caused the heart to begin to beat, caused blood to begin to flow through that body. You know, there was a surge of life through that body and the eyes shot open. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Here's what Paul is trying to tell us. You were dead in your sins, in your trespasses, in everything. But the moment you said, Jesus, I'm giving you my life, and you'll have an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes. It says the moment you did that, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead enters your mortal body. And it allows you through the supernatural experience to live a life that you could never ever live on your own. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to perform. Why? Because you have a new power. You just need to tap into it. Well, how do I tap into it more? I'll give you a real simple answer. And the answer is just a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. I pray that all the time in my life. Holy Spirit, help me today. Why? Because I have access to a power. And the next time you feel your blood boiling, you know, and, uh, and starting to take control, govern your mind. Say, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, be with me right now. The moment you feel as if the enemy is condemning you, then Holy Spirit, help me. I'm not under condemnation because I am in Christ Jesus. 
Next time you feel as if sin is a grip on your life, Holy Spirit, help me because I've been set free from the penalty and the power of this thing and it will not dominate me all my life. Please listen to me. You don't have to perform. You don't have to pretend because you've got a new power. And I believe God wants you to walk in victory in who you are in him. Did you receive the word today? I pray it was helpful. Come on, let's pray together before we go. Don't sign off. Just let's pray together. Come, let's pray. I want to give you an opportunity to receive this good news. If you haven't done that yet in your life. The good news that Jesus died to give us freedom, to give us hope, to give us a new life. You will no longer be under the power and the penalty of sin. You will be free. And if today you need that freedom, if you know in your heart you are far from God, maybe at what time it was real in your life and you walk around saying you're a Christian, but it's not really that real for you, then today is your day. And this is your moment. If you say, Mark, that's me. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning today. I need to know today that I am not condemned. I need to know that I've been set free. I want all that you've spoken about for my life. Then I want you just to pray this simple prayer. It's simple. It's not in the prayer. It's on what Jesus did and your heart right now. Follow me in this prayer if that's you. Jesus, I need you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. Today, I'm making you my Lord and Savior. Thank you for a brand new beginning. Thank you that I'm not under condemnation. Thank you that I've been set free. Thank you that I can govern my mind and that I have a new power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, if you believe it, wherever you're sitting, say amen right now. I want to say to you a wonderful decision that you've just made. I believe God goes with you into your future. Now, next week, I'm continuing in Romans, so don't miss it. And so until we meet again, share hope, show kindness, and let's all of us just shine Jesus.